Smell team. Our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station this morning as they make their way downstairs to the Boys and Girls Club. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of John will be in chapter 21 today. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, that will be on page, let me see, here we go, 907, all right? So, and if you need a Bible, this is our gift to you, just a small gift from Redemption Hill. If you need a a new copy of God's Word, uh, you can have uh, the one that we provide for you uh, as you come in today. Well, um, I want to welcome all of our our, our newcomers to Redemption Hill. We we have new people every single week, and uh, we love that about our church. Uh, As John mentioned earlier, if you don't have uh, tight plans afterwards, uh, we have a, a free luncheon afterwards. Uh, it's called Next, and it's just a great opportunity for, for you to meet a few new people and uh, learn a little bit about Redemption Hill. So we'll be in and out of there, lunch included in 45 minutes. would love for you to go ahead and make plans uh, to stick around for that. And then I also want to welcome all of our uh, G-Link, Generation Link teams uh, that are here today. Uh, really grateful for all the work that you have done uh, this summer. So um, thank you for investing in, uh, in, in the kingdom and, and what God's doing around the world. Uh, really thankful for uh, what you've done and your commitment uh, to spend your summer sacrificially Uh, for the sake of others. And uh, that's actually what we're going to talk about today. Uh, For those of you that that have been around Redemption Hill, you already know this about our church, but for those of you that are new, uh, we take serving very, very seriously, okay? We, we, We say we exist to glorify God. It means point to how great God is by living out his mission. And how we live out his mission, one of the major ways is by serving others. That's why we just had this Serve Medford week where we tried to blitz our city uh, by serving here at the Boys and Girls Club, renovation projects, helping out here at the Chevalier Theater, um, cleaning up parks around the city, um, just doing a number of different uh, serve efforts to make our city a better city than it already is, and in the process, display Christ to, uh, to those around us as we uh, interact with them as well. And, and that's what, that's what this, this team, almost 100 uh, of Generation Link summer interns have done throughout the summer, all right? They've served in places like Prague, India, Turkey, the Middle East, Miami, Seattle, Columbus, and a handful of other locations across the, the, the southeast, and uh, not to mention Titletown, the Athens of America, the hub of the universe, the city that needs no greater superlative because there is none greater than the city of, that was all one city, Boston. All right. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, we had a team here, and, um, and they did an awesome job as well serving, serving our city and teaming up with Redemption Hill in some different ways. Um, now, listen, as we serve, this is a great reminder for us coming off Serve Medford Week, and this is a great reminder for these Generation Link interns coming off a great summer. Um, as we serve, it's not simply important that we serve, but it is also important, I would say more important, how we serve and why we serve. You see, we can... We can engage in service, but how we're actually going about that and what's driving our service is even more important. 
And what we're going to see this morning is a story that will help us get to the heart of service. We're going to pick up in John chapter 21. We're going to wrap up uh, this, this long series that we've been in the Gospel of John. And we're going to see this conversation between Jesus and one of his closest followers, Peter. And Peter, you need to know just from the outset that he had blown it in a royal manner, okay? A colossal failure in the last hours of Jesus' life. He had absolutely uh, done that, but... Jesus extends Peter colossal forgiveness. And that is what I want us to think about this morning. What does it look like to live forgiven and free because what Christ has done? And as we look at these verses, what we're going to find is that forgiveness produces a powerful freedom to love to lead, and to live the life that God has assigned us, all right? Forgiveness produces a powerful freedom to love, to lead, and to live the life that God has assigned for us. So let me read these first 14 verses for us as we look at John chapter 21. Here we go. John writes this, after this, the resurrection of Jesus, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised. 
All right, let's just try to enter into the story, right? I mean, the Bible is not a boring book, and sometimes we can just kind of read it to read it, but we need to, to kind of pause and just step into the story and feel the magnitude of what is happening here, all right? This is, this is after Jesus rose from the dead, and the disciples had they've been given an assignment to wait for the Spirit that was going to empower them for the service that God uh, had for them, and so uh, they found themselves by the sea saying, hey, you know what? Let's go fishing, and they fish all night and catch absolutely nothing until a man shouts from the shore and suggests that they modify their approach. They're like, hey, why don't you try the right side of the boat? And undoubtedly, these disciples had already tried the right side, the left side, the front side, the back side. I mean, they had probably tried every single side, right? And, and they had caught nothing all night, but they say, you know, like, what do, what do we have to lose here? You know, like when you put up a goose egg, it's like, just try anything, right? You know what I'm saying? So, so they, they throw the net on the other side, the right side, and they catch an amount of fish that they cannot even begin to pull up with their net. And John, the writer of this gospel, says to Peter, the ringleader, hey, it's Jesus. And Peter proceeds to throw some clothes on and jump into the sea so that he can be the very first one to greet Jesus there on the shore. Now, like a good friend, Jesus was not only a great Savior and Lord, he was also a great friend. He already has a fire going. He has breakfast in place for the disciples. And so he is making breakfast. They enjoy breakfast together. And then Jesus has one piece of unfinished business to attend to with this guy named Peter. And that's where we pick up in verse 15. Look at these verses with me. Says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What's going on here is, as you notice, Jesus asked the same question with slight variation three different ways. He's, he's pulling Peter aside in both a personal way, he speaks to him directly, Simon, son of John, but he's doing so in a public way also because it's before the other disciples. He says, do you love me more than these? Now, we're not sure exactly what these is. It's ambiguous, but he could be saying, do you love me more than they love me? Or he could be referring to his fishing profession and saying, like, do you love me more than you love your profession? You've kind of entered back into your old profession. Um, is that what's going on? It seems to me, and this is not, we can't be conclusive about this, but it seems to me that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love these disciples. So, so perhaps there's even a combination. We can't know for sure, but, but this is what we do know. Jesus is asking Peter about the quality of his love for him. And as Peter 
receives this question, he is quick to answer, yes, you know that I love you. But, Peter, but, but Jesus asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, like I just said, like Jesus, you know I, I love you. And then he asks a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is somewhat exasperated. John says he's felt grieved by this question. He says, look, Jesus, you know everything. You can read my mind. You know the condition of my heart. You know that I love you. And so what is going on in this? Like, why would Jesus ask Peter a question three times that he already knows the answer to the question? Well, in this series of questions, we begin to see the brilliant wisdom of Jesus Christ. See, we have to understand the the context of the relationship between Jesus and Peter to understand what's happening in this conversation, okay? Peter was kind of the ringleader of the disciples. He was one of the closest followers of Christ, and he was so devoted to Jesus that when Jesus said, hey, I'm about to go die um, for you and for the sin of the world, Peter says, look, if you're going down, I'm going down with you. In other words, like, I love you so much, I will die with you and for you, Jesus. And Jesus comes back to Peter's amazement, and he says, look, you're not going to die for me, you're going to deny me. And you're not just going to deny me once, you're going to deny me, not twice, but three times. This must have given Peter great shame, because what Jesus said came true, and Peter abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need as he was led away, arrested, and then crucified before the Romans and the Jews outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is not trying to grieve Peter, but he is actually working to affirm Peter because just as Peter denied him three times publicly, Jesus gives him the opportunity to affirm him three times publicly. And this then sets Peter on a new trajectory to feel the full weight of the forgiveness and love and reaffirmation that Jesus had for Peter. He's saying, look, you blew it, and you blew it in a major way, but I love you so much that not only can this relationship be restored again to the way that it ought to be, but I want to use you for my purposes in the world. I still have a job for you to do, Peter. And I hope as we hear these words that we will begin to understand how Jesus wants to know us and deal with us and use us wherever he places us. Jesus extends real forgiveness to Peter. And real forgiveness, check this out, real forgiveness recognizes the wrong, okay? Like Jesus doesn't do like some of us do, you know, hey, Peter, what happened back there? man? Don't worry about it. You know, some of us don't like confrontation. We like to just kind of set things aside. We don't like to deal with the real issues. And so we just like, hey, man, you know, didn't even happen. Like, it didn't even happen. But Jesus doesn't operate like that. 
He recognizes the wrong. Hey, there was real pain involved here in our relationship. And yes, it, it, it hurt our, our closeness. But Peter, I still love you. I want to extend forgiveness to you. And that's the second part of forgiveness that we see is that real forgiveness not only recognizes the wrong, but it fully restores the relationship. So real forgiveness says, look, this wrong that you committed against me, I'm not going to allow it to disrupt our friendship, our relationship any longer. And I suppose there have been times in your life, just like there have been my own, when you have blown it before others and you have blown it before God in such a way that you would say, you know what, I'm not sure that, like, I know God is love and I know that Jesus died on the cross for, for, for sin and kind of general sense, but like, could he really forgive me for what I have done? Just the past couple of weeks, I was hanging out with one of my friends. He's, he's, he's relatively new to Christianity and the gospel. And, and he, just, he just said, hey, I'm, I want to be all in with Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Just like we hear this call from Jesus to the disciples. Everyone hears that call today. Follow me. It's an invitation to us all. And he was wrestling with this idea of following Jesus. But he said, you know what, man, I can't erase the wrongdoings in my mind. I don't see how, how God could erase those wrongdoings from my life. He thought he was too far gone. But God is the God of the second chance and the second thousandth chance. And he extends this real forgiveness to us. Um, this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. Listen to these words. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, speaking spiritually of the condition of our heart apart from Christ. Really, really weighty words. Okay, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And how did he do it? This is how he did it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So as an old pastor once said, right, there is, there is um, more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. More mercy in Christ than sin in us. The love of God goes further than any of our wrongdoing before him. And so if you're in that camp today, like, man, I've blown it. I don't know if God would receive me again and restore this relationship that he made me to have with him. I'm just saying, look, you can't really blow it more than Peter blew it. And Jesus welcomed him back with open arms. And he does the same for us today by what he did for us on the cross. So my prayer is that you'll receive that gift, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for many, many, many times over, Jesus extends this offer to us. And, and here's the beautiful thing, and if you've, if you've come to Christ and you've experienced Christ's forgiveness, then you know what, what I'm about to say is true, okay? When we are forgiven by God through the cross, it's like a thousand pound weight falls off our back. Anybody, anybody been there? Like, you know, like, man, you, you see that you have wronged God and that, 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 that wrongdoing, that sin separates you from him. But now, because of what Christ has done through the cross, now we're, now we're fully restored, fully forgiven, and now free to run and live the life that God intended for us all along. 
free to enjoy life at its best. And so what I want to do today as we examine this story of, of Peter and Jesus and this conversation and what Jesus wants to do in Peter's life, all right, I, want to, I want to give you three encouragements around how forgiveness frees us to live the, the life that God wants us to live. All right? Number one, we are free to follow him from a heart of love. Jesus extends an amazing invitation to us. We see it in verse 19, all right, of chapter 21, where um, he says to Peter, after he's saying all these things, he says two words, all right, these are the, the two greatest words we could ever hear from Jesus, follow me. And then in verse 22, look at this, he says that, uh, the same thing, again, these two words, follow me. The last words from Jesus are actually the same words as the first words that Jesus spoke to the disciples when he invited them into his life when he said, follow me. This is our greatest responsibility and it is our greatest privilege. But listen, as we follow, there should be a defining mark that characterizes our life, and that is the mark of love. When people ask Jesus, hey, like there are a lot of different instructions that God gives to his people, like which ones are the greatest? And Jesus just boils them down and he says, look, if you can keep these two, you're all set. Love God with everything you are and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, then you are good to go. Love, 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 love. Let your life be characterized by love. So I love what Jesus does in these three questions. These same three questions. He cuts below the surface, which, by the way, sometimes feels a bit uncomfortable, right? Like we're, we're comfortable on the surface. We're, we, we're comfortable with like not exposing what's really going on in our lives. But Jesus just wants to get below all of that. And he says, do you love me? And so I want to ask you today, even as I ask myself, do you love Christ and how much do you love Christ? To learn to love and to learn to be loved, I would say, is life's greatest lesson. To learn to love and to learn to be loved is life's greatest lesson. Let me, let me show you a picture of our little girl uh, named Jordan. This is Jordan Hope, all right? Come on now, you guys awake, you guys do a little something like, oh, you know, yeah, there we go, that's a little bit better, you guys are with me. So, so she's, she's working on her game, all right? We keep our priorities straight in the Turley household, all right? And, um, and she is just a little angel, like 85% of the time, you know? Um, so, so Jordan, as soon as she could learn to move her little arms and follow instructions, I began to ask her the question like I asked her two older sisters, Parker and Kessid, Jordan, how much does daddy love you? To which she stretches out her arms. I mean, hey, listen, I didn't pick this picture just because it is absolutely the cutest picture I've ever seen. Uh, it was just the first one I could find on my laptop, um, but, but yeah, therein she had stepped into daddy's booth. She got the heart sweater on, all right? She's fully communicating, man, daddy, you love me. Don't you love that? Thank you, Jordan, for helping me make this point. So, so, so 
So we need to understand how much God loves us. If you, if you ask me, like, Tanner, how can I grow in my love for God? That is the first step, right? We get to know how much God loves us. Remember, everything that Jesus is communicating to Peter here is, is following what just happened when he died on the cross for Peter and for all people who would receive this gift of life that he extends to all people. So, so as Jesus said in John 13, look, greater love has no one than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is the greatest love. The greatest love the world would ever know is that Jesus, the Son of God, would die for the people of the world. John was so blown away by the love of Christ that later in another letter, he would just say this, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If you want to grow in your love for God, you need to get reacquainted with how much God loves you. I mean, just, just let me put this in very practical terms. When someone serves you, when someone brings you a meal when you're sick, when someone writes you a note saying, hey, job well done, when someone listens to you when you're just going through it and hurting, um, do you not, like, does that not make you just love them a little more? Doesn't that stir your affections for them? Like, man... This person really cares about me, and that consequently makes you care about them just a little more. This is the way that life works, right? And so we step back, and we see what Christ has done for us, and then his love, check this out, his love motivates our love. His love is the genesis, the start, and the continuation of our love back to do you love me? How much do you love me? This is the question Jesus asks us. So we get to know his love, and then number two, we take this next step no matter the cost. Love does not calculate the cost. When we truly love someone, then we are willing to do anything for that person, even if it means sacrifice. I mean, just to step back and put our, 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 our kind of feet in the shoes of Peter, I mean, we too, I think, would have been kind of perplexed. Like, Jesus, you're asking me not once, twice, three times. I mean, did you not see, Jesus, like that move that I just made in the boat when John told me it's Jesus? Like, I just put on some clothes and I dove in the sea. What a, what a picture of devotion, right? Like, if anyone's going to be like, I'm not going to wait for this boat to get there. I am going to jump in myself so I can be the first. That's a picture of devotion, friends. No matter the, no matter the cost, take the next step. I want to be the first the first to you in the morning, the, the, the first to love you in my workplace, the first to love you in my neighborhood, the first to love you with my family, the first to love you in my thoughts, the first to love you in my actions, the first. 
Peter was sold out for Christ. He was devoted to Christ. And and Jesus understands this, but just to to help Peter understand how much his love would be tested, he goes in verse 18, and and he says what is to come for Peter when he says this. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but that's not how your life is gonna turn out. No. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And John translates that for us and he says in verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after he said these things, he said, follow me. So let me just kind of cut to the chase for you. There was only one thing that stretch out your hands meant in the Roman Empire, and that was death by crucifixion. Peter was going to die in the same way that Jesus died. Taking the next step, no matter the cost. Christ is that valuable. Christ is that much of a treasure. You know, I'm not going to try to get too preachy on so by like, can we like, can we kind of just, we're going to talk about technology in a few weeks, but, and I struggle with this, right? Like, does anyone like check Facebook in the morning, like first thing when you wake up? Okay, and some of you like, no, some of you like, man, the pastor does that. Like some mornings I do, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, And I'm not saying that's a sin. I'm just saying, like, don't we jump into a thousand other things sometimes than that first step toward Christ? Take the next step, no matter what the cost. We're now free to love him as we follow him. But not only that, we're free to lead others towards spiritual health. I I love this, okay? Um, I hope you caught it. After every question and Peter's affirmation, then Jesus gives him an assignment that he wants him to fulfill. So we can look back, verse 17, feed my sheep. Verse 18, tend my lambs. Verse 19, feed my sheep. Jesus wants Peter to fulfill his leadership role in leading others towards spiritual health and spiritual nourishment. This is the privilege that we have as well. Listen, leadership flows from love, right? So if you don't love, you can't lead. That's just the way it is. If you don't love, you can't lead. But when you are loving, then what happens, the very essence of love, I hope you understand this, is that we pour ourselves out for the benefit of someone else. You should, like, give me a better definition of love and I'll, and I'll, I'll buy onto it, all right? Like, love is give, it's self-giving for the sake of someone else. And so when, when, when Jesus says, hey, feed my, my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, all right, even though Jesus had just prepared breakfast for Peter, right, like Peter knows Jesus is not asking him to become a chef, you know what I'm saying? Like he is talking about not physical food, but spiritual food, spiritual nourishment. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So, so listen, I can just speak from my heart for a moment. I can just tell you out of my own experience that the times when I feel lethargic and lifeless spiritually, there is usually a direct correlation with how much I am spending time in this life-giving book. Do, do, do you know that to be true as well in your own life? Listen, if, if, if we're not in God's word, then we're going to have greater difficulty distributing that to other people for their spiritual health. And so listen, we, we kind of go on all these diets, right? Like we, Marsha and I with some friends, we did this Whole30 diet, all right? It, it was great. I made it. And then, you know, the, the last 180 days, I haven't lived like that at all. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? It was a good start. Like it did help me a little bit, you know, evaluate what I'm eating and such. Like how about like Whole30 with the word? Like can we do Whole Word 30? I just made that up, right? Whole, whole word there, like, for the next 30 days, how about we just open up this, like, for a, for, a, for a few minutes, which will probably grow into more minutes, just receiving from the word of God. Let me ask you a tough question this morning. It's not tough because we all have the, the theoretical answer very quick, okay? But, but let me just ask you, do you exist for you? Do, do you exist for you? Like, like, I know you say, like, no, like, God made me to, to point to him, and he's greater than me, and so I exist for him, and, and even he made me to pour my, like, like he loves, like, I'm now to love, and I'm, I'm existing for, but, like, in practice, that's kind of difficult, right? But what happens? What happens when we stop existing for us, and we start existing for others. What happens when we open up our word or we hear a word, like in this very moment, you don't even realize it maybe, but you have an opportunity to go ahead and just live this out as soon as you leave this place. Because even when we hear a sermon, all right, we have the opportunity to either listen for ourselves to get something out of it for us, or we listen to get something out of it for us so that we can turn around and give it to someone else. What happens when we start living like that? What happens when we connect with the group, shameless plug for groups starting up next month? What happens when we live life in a small group, not because of what we can receive out of it, which is our natural bent? Let's just be honest, man. Who's in that group? Do I like those people? What can I receive out of this? I'm going to get off work and go to group because I feel like going to group tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like we all just live in this land where we're, we're existing for us rather than like, man, what if these people need what God is doing in my life and I bring that to the table to serve them? You do not exist for you. We exist for us. We exist for us. God made us to pour our lives out for the sake of others. Freely you have received from Christ, so freely give. Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, how much do you love Jesus? He's freed you now to love him in return, to lead others towards spiritual health. And then finally, he has freed us that we might live the life that God has assigned to us. 
verses 20 through 22. They're not throwaway verses. Uh, It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That would be John, the one also who leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? That would still be John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So, so let, me, let me translate that, okay? Jesus is saying to Peter, look, you live the life that I have assigned you to live. You run in your lane. You stay focused on what I have for you, and you live your life with such passion and zeal that you are so focused on me that, that, that you're not really going to be distracted by what's happening around you. The words of Christ almost sound blunt. I mean, I think like a New Englander talking about Patriots football, you know what I'm saying, and Tom Brady and Roger Goodell, like just like tell you like it is, like how they feel about it, right? Um, and, and Jesus just gives it to him straight. What, like, Peter, what is that to you? But what, Peter, what, what Jesus is trying to do with Peter is he's trying to pull him in to sharper focus so that he can be all that God has made him to be and do all that God has made him to do for him. And so please hear just this, this, this final encouragement that there are two evils that will distract us and knock us off course from effectiveness for God. The first is the curse of discontentment. All right? We, we plan our lives in such a way where we have it all laid out And then reality happens and and life happens and it seems like God has another plan. And so we start asking questions like, you know, man, what cancer wasn't in my plan? God, like, why are you allowing cancer into my plan because that wasn't, that wasn't my game plan for my life and, and all this difficulty and discouragement that seems unceasing, like God. Why is your plan not my plan? So let me ask us, is, is God's plan, is, is his plan enough for us? No matter what may come, God has a plan for us. I mean, it, it probably isn't going to result. Um, our plan isn't going to end, end up the way that Peter's did, right? Like death by crucifixion. Thankfully, that doesn't happen anymore as far as we can see. But people are being beheaded for Christ. And yes, I mean, there, there are terrible things that happen. We don't know what our plan's going to be. But, but Peter is, is being encouraged by Jesus. Hey, just fulfill the plan that I have set before you. Take the next step. And then there is the curse of comparison. We see it so blatantly here in these questions. Peter looks over his shoulder, and he's curious, like, Jesus, you just died by crucifixion. You're telling me that I'm going to die by crucifixion. Well, what about my close friend and your close follower, John? What about him? And the curse of comparison will distract us from the mission that God has for us, the assignment that God has for us. We, we all look around, Right? Their life is so easy. Why are they making more money than me? Why why doesn't my spouse come home and play with the kids? Why is their church 
bigger than our church. The curse of comparison will distract us and derail us from the mission that God has for us. But Christ has a better way. He invites us to love, to lead, to live out what he has for us in his sovereign wisdom. And and here, just I want to leave you with this thought, okay? The life of Christ, to follow him, is a life of unending adventure and complete joy. Look, look at the last two verses of the Gospel of John. He, just, he sums it up like this, and this is such an encouragement to me. He says this. He puts a signature on it. He says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, John is just saying, look, Jesus was so amazing. I've given you a short sample of the miraculous signs that he did so that it might elicit belief in you that he died for you, that he rose from the dead for you, and that you can now follow him with your life completely. And I could have kept on going. 21 chapters doesn't begin to touch it. But here's here's the amazing thing, all right? God is still writing his story. And God writes his story on the hearts of those who follow him. And we get to continue to tell the world how amazing he is. So, my friends, let us continue to follow him. Let us love and lead and live in such a way that the stories that we tell with our lives are so compelling and attractive because Christ is so good that we are able, from India to Seattle to Boston and all over the globe, we can bring people into this true and greater story, the story of God in Christ. Believe and live through him. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled that you would invite us such small and seemingly insignificant people in our own eyes, people who have blown it time and time again, and yet you invite us back into a restored relationship with you and one that can not only now enjoy you but help others to enjoy you as well. And so, Father, it is our prayer this morning that we would Follow Christ in such a way that as we experience his love, that, that his love would grow and, and move forward in us and through us and that we would pour out his love to others and lead them into greater spiritual health. And God, that we would live the, the life that you have assigned for us. God, if we will follow you, we're convinced that, that this city and 
and, and the cities where uh, all these Generation Link interns will go back to and land one day, God, that, that you will use us for your namesake to change the places where you put us. And so, God, we feel so inadequate for that task in and of ourselves, but we are grateful that you give us everything we need to follow you. God, help us to, to, to be devoted to you with everything we are so that you would be lit up by our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, listen.